and why carbon removal, why removing CO2 from ambient air is basically I was I was following the IPCC reports, uh, so the international reports on, on climate change. Um, for, for several years and I realized, okay, we are not really changing anything. So humans don't change their behavior. We are just emitting more and more. We didn't even reach peak emissions yet. So unfortunately, um, we have to remove big amounts of, of CO2 in the, in the future. So I said, okay, we, we need this technology. So I want to spend my time on this because I just think, okay, it's, it's so urgently um, needed. Alberto here, and this is The Pitch. The Pitch is a weekly show where I interview founders from early-stage startups to analyze their businesses. We cover the problem, solution, potential market size, team, and much more. Since in my day-to-day, I did business development at Atom, a startup making buying and retiring carbon credits simple and transparent, I decided to dedicate this season to carbon startups. Join me in this journey, learning what founders are building to fight climate change. Today's guest is Rene Haas, the founder of NeoCarbon. He's an industrial engineer who studied in Berlin. Before starting NeoCarbon, he worked at Siemens Energy and in consulting and built various business units at Tink, a scale-up in Berlin, which raised 50 million. He started NeoCarbon to remove CO2 from ambient air and to fight the climate crisis, while combining his passion for entrepreneurship and sustainability. Let's dive in. Hi, René. Uh, welcome to the show. Uh, it's great to have you on. Yeah, thanks for having me, Alberto. Amazing. Um, so let's start, let's dive into it. Uh, could you pitch NeoCarbon in a couple of sentences that anybody can, can understand what you're doing? So um, NeoCarbon um, removes CO2 from ambient air by piggybacking on existing infrastructure. So we use waste heat streams, industrial sites, cooling towers to really cut the costs of the technology called um, direct air capture. So basically, big filters for ambient air to yeah, remove CO2 to cool down uh, our planet. Mm-hmm. So how did you come up with this idea? I mean, it's not like, oh, let's uh, deliver uh, food door to door or uh, let's create a match <laughs> matchmaking app. Like You come up with quite a particular idea. Uh, how was the process? I looked into, into the field for like, like several months. My background is also industrial engineering, uh, energy and resource management. And then I had like a dedicated year looking in particular into this technology. Then my, my co-founder and with him together, um, after a lot of, lot of iterations, um, basically we realized um, how can we innovate in a technology which we think is, is uh, urgently needed um, on, this, on this planet and how can we innovate in this and then it was basically a step by step, and it's still developing. So it's still uh, not finished, and we still add things and um, yeah, improve um, over time. So it's it's not standing still, and it's not one genius idea that came out of nowhere. It's really developing, and it will probably change um, also in the future um, of the yeah, depending on uh, the technology, but also the market develops. Mm-hmm. And when you started like thinking of like I want to build something, was it specific in like carbon capture, or you just thought like sustainability wise, or like kind of what was the the area that you like were like researching in? Um, so so like, like I said, my my background is industrial engineering, energy and resource management. Um, then I was in a in a startup for uh, like a couple of years and built quite successfully some some business units and realized I want to combine um, those two things. And um, why why carbon removal? Why removing CO two from ambient air? Is basically I was I was following the IPCC reports, uh, so the international reports on on climate change. 
um, for, for several years and I realized, okay, we are not really changing anything. So, so humans don't change their behavior. We are just emitting more and more. We didn't even reach peak emissions yet. So um, unfortunately, um, we have to remove big amounts of, of CO2 in the, in the future. Um, so I said, okay, we, we need this technology. So I want to spend my time on this because I just think, okay, it's, it's so urgently um, yeah, needed. And then I try to find a way um, into the technology that fits also my profile as an as industrial engineer. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. And you touched uh, already uh, on that, but like to dig deeper and also to make the audience understand better. So we have direct air capture. That is the one that you see everywhere. Like the, I mean, uh, this is also the the, the, the the same field, but like you have the ones that everybody talks about and the problems that are with them. Why is NeoCarbon different? And if you could say kind of what's the problem with the other type of direct air capture and uh, how is this more efficient? How is this more scalable, what you're trying to build? Mm -hmm. So maybe one first thing before diving into, into direct air capture is also talking about avoidance and what's the difference between avoidance and, and removal. So if you, if you think of a bathtub um, and you have an open tap um, and you close this step by step, that means you, you, you cut emissions, you, you avoid future emissions. So the best top is full of CO2, basically. That's our, that's our atmosphere. And when we cut emissions, we, we close the tap um, step by step. Um, unfortunately, the tap was open um, too long. So now we have too much CO2 in the atmosphere. So now it doesn't make sense to close. Like, of course, we need to close the tap, but it's not enough. We have to actually um, pull, the, pull the plug to, to actually remove um, CO2 from ambient air. That's actually what we are doing. And with neocarbon and technology, if you do it like with like industrial machines, it's called um, direct air capture. And there, the, the main challenge is uh, the very, very high price point. So we are talking about roughly um, like $1,100 per ton. So that was the average market price, 2022, um, which would mean at the scale we need, which is like the, the gigaton scale, um, it, it means that um, it would cost 12 to 25% of world GDP. So something no one, no one can afford, um, basically. So um, even including that we closed the tap already quite significantly. Um, so, so no one could afford the current price point. So our idea is to say, okay, can we use something that is already existing to cut the costs um, of, of direct air capture? And our approach is um, to piggyback on in existing industrial sites because mm -hmm. there we have a lot of savings on the groundwork because all the basically road infrastructure around the industrial site is already there. Um, we have um, waste heat, which is available. So there's a lot of waste heat, which is super critical for our process. So we need 95 degrees um, heat. And a lot of industries have heat they, they don't use. And they normally blow it through, through cooling towers. And those cooling towers, like the biggest ones you probably know, are the ones from nuclear power plants. But there are a million different out there, also in different sizes, different dimensions. Um, they all also process, uh, process a huge amount of air. Um, and we also need a big chunk of air. Um, because only one out of 2,500 molecules is CO2 in, in ambient air. Even though it's such a big driver for, for climate change, the, the actual share is quite low, so the dilution is, is very high. And so those are the, the challenges. So um, basically, the, we, we save on the, on the groundwork, on the energy, and on the airflow. And with that, we, we can really make a difference and really cut the cost um, compared to, to other um, players in the field. Mm -hmm. And if you... I had to say, like, does direct air capture, so the things that everybody knows about as a place in this fight to climate change, or do you think that is a technology that was a good idea, but at the end, 
your technology, for example, is better and we should move toward this kind of technology or we need a bit of all and it's yeah. a mix? So, um, like, we are also a direct air capture company. So, um, of course, I would not say that our, our approach to direct air capture is the only feasible approach and everybody else's is not worth looking into. I would not say it like that. Um, I, I think we, we need a lot of um, solutions with a lot of different um, technologies, really depending on the regions um, they are operating. Um, so depending on your, on your chemistry, on your capture process, it might be interesting to also um, search for other solutions that are more on the, on the green field, while we really believe on the, on the industrial sides. And in general, the, the direct air capture market, you can imagine like a blue ocean. So um, the current installed capacity on a global basis is like 0.01 megatons, so 10,000 tons of annual capture, which is basically nothing. By, by 2030, it should minimum reach the 85 um, megatons, which means um, it has to grow by 364% per year. Um, so it's, it's basically not a fighting for shares. It's more like, okay, there's a, a big demand needed also driven by a lot of governments, actually mainly the US, um, to really create um, that kind of market. So it's not about um, fighting for shares and, and am I fear competition or whatsoever. I would actually encourage people to, to join the space, to, um, to join us and to help to innovate in the space. And if you had to describe the product, like exactly what is the product? Like how does the hardware mm -hmm. look? What is that? <laughs> how, do you, how can you explain so, so it's, it's like a big filter for, for ambient air. In our case, it's like a box. Um, two by two by one meter fifty um, weights roughly a ton. You have um, a big inlet um, for, for the air, which is going through, through the unit. So an inlet and an outlet of the air with a, quite a big diameter. Um, and then you have inputs for the, for the heat. So those are basically tubes coming in, a hot water tube coming in, a bit colder water um, coming out of the unit. And um, then you have a have a third tube um, for the for the CO2, um, which is like then for captured from ambient air, 99% uh, pure um, CO2 in a in a liquefied form. And okay. um, depending on your industrial side, you would have various of those um, big boxes um, stacked on each other, um, depending how much waste heat, how much airflow um, we can tap into. Mm -hmm. And does that alter the process of the of the industrial side in any sense? Like, does it add extra cost, or like, you know, are there any disadvantages from implementing it? Mm -hmm. So, um, it's it's of course retrofitting has some challenges uh, in itself because you need to make sure that you don't have a bad impact on the on the existing existing processes. Um, so, for that, we talked actually to a lot of cooling tower manufacturers. Um, to validate, okay, what are we allowed to do and what is maybe, maybe critical for us. That's why, for example, the first step of our integration is the waste heat integration because it's, it's quite easy and um, the, the ranges um, are quite flexible in that sense. So it's not a high risk. While the airflow retrofit, which is the second part of the integration, is a bit more technical and a bit more challenging. That's why we also do it at a, at a later point in time. Um, in general, we, we take heat um, from the cooling tower so we actually make it more efficient. So that's why the waste heat integration is, is rather good for the cooling tower. But especially with the airflow retrofit, we are not allowed to um, create an enormous pressure drop. So to, to block the cooling tower, basically, so that air, air can't go through anymore. So those are the challenges there. That's why we also came up with a novel reactor design, which is like optimized for maximum capture, but minimal um, pressure drop. 
um, which we are all also now patenting um, in, in that regard. So we have to be careful when piggybacking on existing infrastructure. That makes sense. I mean, I think we could go on for hours to talk about the product because it's so exciting. Uh, but uh, I would like to move forward to uh, more talking about the market and like kind of the more business side of it, which is a bit boring after this part, I would say. But uh, uh, to understand who's your target customer uh, and also how do you see that evolving over time? Like kind of where are you now? Where are you going to be mm-hmm. in five years in terms of customers? Yeah. So, so in the long run, we want to capture CO2 and we want to sequester, meaning storing it back underground so it can't enter um, the atmosphere again. In the long run, our partners are big industrial sites um, that license our, our technology and that roll it out. And they are basically operating like, like multipliers of our technology. So we ourselves are just a technology company. We are providing the tech and others um, do the rollout. So that's the long-term, long-term vision. And we finance ourselves mainly with um, carbon removal um, certificates. And um, that's, a, that's a long plan. In the short term, um, all the carbon credits you can buy are basically on a, on a voluntary basis. So it's, um, and a lot of the infrastructure that we need, for example, pipelines and so also sequestration infrastructure is not there yet. So this will only be created in the next three to four years, mainly driven by, by government, actually, in the US especially. Um, so we looked into industries that need CO2 as a feedstock. Um, so, for example, like a, like a vertical farming or a brewery, um, which is not um, carbon negative because they use CO2 and actually you create a kind of circular economy. So it's better than before, but not like removing CO2. Um, but those industries are interesting because they have quite a high price point um, of CO2. And um, for them, we are basically a business case um, very, very early on. Plus. Um, they are not dependent anymore from disrupted supply chains. So especially when you order small quantities of CO2, then you are, of course, not the preferred customer of the, of the big um, providers. So um, whenever there's a shortage, um, the small suppliers um, don't get, uh, or the, the, the small buyers um, don't get their um, CO2. And also they pay the highest price because of the transport costs. So our near term is um, utilizing CO2 as a feedstock, for example, vertical farm, carbonated drinks, but as soon as we have the first units in the field, um, it's about going more to industrial sites and then talking about chemical um, factories, paper manufacturers, before at a later stage, um, then really license the technology to, to big industrial players. For that, we have now the first two pilots um, actually in the pipeline. One is a big uh, infrastructure owner that's also investing into, into vertical farms. So with them, we do the first pilot um, around Berlin. We're actually visiting the sites in the, in the coming days. And then the go live should be in uh, early 2024. And another one is a big um, Japanese cooling tower service uh, company that want to differentiate from their from their competition. And with them, we are actually planning to deploy um, a pilot also early 2024 um, in the west of Germany. So this would be a potential multiplier. So we try to build the relationship early on so that we basically build the conviction in the next um, yeah, two, three years before we actually license then the, then the full technology um, to them. Mm-hmm. So basically, you would use the licensing model to get around scalability issues, because if you had to build it yourself, it would be quite complex. But is this, uh, um, does the product require to be tailored to have a use case, or once it's built, it's quite ad- adaptable, like any industrial site can just put it there and it's easy to, to do? Mm-hmm. So um, the unit itself, so the, the box which I uh, described, um, this is basically always the same unit which we are um, deploying. 
then it's just about um, the the piping of the of the airflow and the and the waste heat, um, which needs to be adapted um, depending on the site. But this is uh, yeah nothing nothing too um, critical. Um, what we have to have in mind, of course, if we scale across different industries, um, there might be certain challenges. So it makes a lot of sense to to operate within one industry, so within one vertical, because the processes um, and the requirements are very, very similar and you can scale with the same size. While if you open, let's say, a new industry um, for your product, you might need to uh, adapt certain things depending on the on the requirements you have um, on the, for example, heat, pressure drop, um, but also um, potential like safety requirements really depending on the industry um, you are operating. So that's why we would then go vertical by vertical, um, but can scale very easily within um, one vertical. <laughs> and so talking a bit about your kind of your status now and also what you did before, uh, like in the, in the last few months, I think with uh, uh, deep tech ideas like this, uh, sometimes it's hard to prove traction, right? Because you don't have signups, you don't have early, early customers. I mean, it's, it would be a bit hard to sell something that's not there yet. Um, how did you measure traction? How did you convince your investors uh, before? And how, how does that change going forward? Or like kind of what's the, yeah, how do the metrics evolve for such a deep tech business? Mm -hmm. So um, when, when we just started, so we, we started uh, early 2022. Um, we, the, the first basically proof points have been that we hired the core people for the team. So we basically had all the right skills um, in the team. So the team was super important for, for the investors. Um, so that was the, was the first thing. Then we had, of course, the first big partnership with Siemens Energy which is kind of an external validation. Hey, a big uh, corporate player is open to like work with us. So this was a good validation with that. We have been able to, to close our um, pre-seed. And of course, we had a small scale pilot that we built ourselves. Um, from there on, so after the pre-seed, um, it changed a bit. So it's now one year later. So summer 2023. Um, we now have a full team of, of 10 people, um, mainly engineers, um, scientists, we are now filing the first um, three patents. So IP is something, of course, very critical, especially when, when you want to license the tech. Um, we have now really a proper machine running, which is uh, completely automated and which is basically ready to be installed at the, at the customer side. And we have now actually the first two um, pilot sites where the pilots actually pay for an installation of our unit. So actually we, we have uh, contracted um, revenue um, and um, so, yeah, I would say the, the key metrics are like, is the, is, the, is the team together? How is the IP situation? Um, what have you built in the, in the real world? And um, can, how can you make money? And the more you can show early on, um, the better it is. But in general, I think we moved very fast for, for a deep tech company. So I would not expect it from, from everyone after, after one and a half years to, to be at this stage um, already. We, we are also quite surprised that it went uh, that, that well. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, those are the metrics, I would say. Okay. And is there a number that, uh, uh, or a data point that for you is the most important out of this that you say, okay, we are going in the, uh, the right direction. Is it just about the revenue, the commitments? Is more about the number of partners that are ready to, to work with you? Or like, what is that? Um, so, so in general, for a lot of companies, even for deep tech, I think it should be around uh, revenue. So I see a lot of um, deep tech companies that don't focus on, on revenue early on enough um, but it's important because at the end you build a product for the for the real world and and revenue really shows that hey someone is so convinced that they would give you money so i think to focus early on on, on revenue is is quite important um, on the other hand for 
us, of course, it's, it's a lot about the capture costs. So the, the euros per ton, which is a very specific uh, metrics for, for direct air capture. So the lower we can get um, this price point from currently like the $1,100 per ton, which is the average market price um, of direct air capture, to like more like 100, 200, um, that's probably one of the most important metrics. And with this, also the, the energy requirements for our process. So those are the like three core um, metrics um, for, for our company. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that, uh, yeah, like you don't expect uh, other deep tech company to move as fast. And uh, this connects quite well, I would say, with, with competition. And uh, are there competitors out there? You mentioned the market is huge. There is space for everyone, essentially. Mm -hmm. uh, but do you see anyone who does something similar to you that could be a replacement that maybe not now, but in one year or so, you will be competing for the same deals? Uh, and if so, which are those? Mm -hmm. So, um, like, of course, there are other direct air capture companies. And um, the thing is, when you don't piggyback on existing infrastructure, you have kind of an easier job in that sense because you have less requirements and um, you need to build less of business relationships. Like you basically have less partners um, around the table. So, of course, the big ones are the global thermostat, carbon engineering, Climeworks um, of the world. So, for example, Climeworks raised roughly 800 million. So that's quite a big thing compared to our small, um, like, around we, we raised. Um, in general, I see more and more um, competitors, of course, popping up. I, I don't see a lot of players um, piggybacking on existing infrastructure. I see some, um, but only also small players, so very similar to us in the, in the US um, that are coming up, but it's maybe maybe a handful. So, so I don't see a big um, competition in, in our case, and I don't think we compete um, for, the, for the same sites, especially in Europe um, at the current um, point in time. Because also what we're doing, retrofitting, has cost advantages, but it's also um, quite challenging in how to design your unit so that it's highly adaptable. So in itself, it has, of course, um, a challenge, even though the challenge is maybe not the, the competition because it might be um, too, too complex um, for, for a lot of players. Mm. So yeah, you, st you stole my question there. Uh, <laughs> I was going to ask uh, kind of uh, why, why not? Why is there, isn't there competition? And would you say it's a matter of time as like cases like yours would come up and there would be success stories, more entrepreneurs will give it a try uh, and you were just kind of the, the first one to figure it out? Or do you think that it's still one of those technologies that the first one who solves it, uh, like your specific use case, uh, other won't bother because there is already a technology there and it's better to innovate in other directions. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's very hard to say. So I, I don't know. I, I know besides the pure retrofitting, we are also designing our own reactors and we have a very holistic view of direct air capture. So we, we plan to have a whole patent family, now the first three patents, but in the long term, it's more like 10 to 20 patents. So it's also not that easy for someone else um, to enter the market um, afterwards. Um, and we are like moving at a very, very fast pace. Um, that doesn't mean that there will be no um, competition in the future. I think at the moment, there's not a lot of competition, not a lot of people um, looking into this. In general, the direct air capture market is, is, is very small. Like, like I said, it's like 0 0.01 um, megaton, and by 2030, it's expected to be at 85 um, megaton global installed capacity of, mm -hmm. of direct air capture per year which means the market has to grow by like 364%, so year over year. So I, I really don't fear competition. And like said, um, if more people would join um, to, to work on their technology and if there are other players, um, then 
like it's it's less education for me <laughs> because now when when I talk to to customers they they barely understand what I want from them and I have to do a lot of um, like let's say calls to to explain them what we are doing exactly and how it would benefit um, them so I would imagine that there are more players in the future but like I said I don't fear them in in that sense and in in general just talking about waste heat um, the the global market for for direct air capture is expected to be roughly at six gigatons by the mid of the century um, so gigaton CO2 um, removal and waste heat potential on a global scale right now is like 5.3 gigaton so even if basically all the direct air capture players would only do existing infrastructure um, it, it's still a massive potential um, within that so I don't see um, why why I should fear it especially compared where the industry is right now so it's more a challenge for let's say 2030 onwards and um, yeah that's mm -hmm. uh, that's my, Makes my sense. view on that Makes yeah. sense. So it's more about we need to get the job done rather than we are so worried of what's outside. And yeah. this is perfect for my next question, which is kind of how's your team? Uh, why do you think it's perfect to get this job done? Mm -hmm. So um, like basically the, the two founders, Sylvain and I, are more like company builders. So he was the CTO of his previous company, which he exited in 2019. I was scaling teams um, in, a, in a startup where we raised 50 million. I was leading more than, more than 100 people in, in peak times. So we are as founders are more like company builders. We had then um, the, the like the opportunity to really build the right team to to build the direct air capture um, company. So our head of uh, R and D Andrew, who joined very very on early, um, he was kind of the perfect fit for us. So he is a PhD in uh, separating CO two from from membranes and built pilot plants actually before and worked actually in point source capturing CO two at a big industrial player. So we really have the science expertise. On the one side, and around him, we have like other scientists, like PhDs from British Columbia, but also Cambridge, but also people that build um, big industrial sites, for example, with, with in-farms or vertical farming, which is one of our first um, go-to-market um, yeah, industries. So we really have all those right engineers and scientists in place. On the other side, we as founders um, are, like, are like company builders that, that scaled uh, companies before. So that's why we believe um, we have the right team with also the right values in place. So my co-founder and I matched, um, first of all, not only on the technology, but mainly really on the on the right values, how to scale companies. So it was a lot about um, transparency, trust, ownership, like what he likes to call his, uh, yeah, his Nordic values. So that's why I think we are a very, very great team. But like, like I said, I hope that a lot of other great teams also join the race um, to help this technology to scale. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And how did you? How do you think you managed to convince people to join your team? I mean, you and your co-founder already have some experience, but it's probably not so easy to get PhDs from the best university in the world to join your team. And I think um, a lot of founders might have the same issue. So I wonder, like, what's the secret in your view to to convince people like this? I actually don't know <laughs> if, 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 if I'm if I'm honest. Like. We we had quite some good applications in 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 general. Like when we when we when we have our job ads live, like normally we get quite some, especially for the full time employees, we get quite some good applications. And then it's probably the personal connections. So to give them like like we 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 not only look at the skills um, of the people, but also if they have like the like like if they match our philosophy on, on how to how to work how to operate. We also try to have um, have a diverse team in, in regards of the of the personalities and stuff like this. So we, we think a lot about um, how how good teams work, and then about um, convincing them is, is actually 
it's 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 not that hard i i would say because we are working on something we want to see in the world and obviously people in the company you also want to see this in the world so that's why i think a lot of people and, and especially our team have a very very high intrinsic motivation and um realize that this is something they want to spend time on so um uh, but that there is no secret you have to have this salary at this and this point i think it's a lot about the personal connection and and how you how you treat um, the people um, at the end mm -hmm. yeah that definitely sounds like a like a great team um so that's your team now like how do you see that changing in the future are there like uh, uh kind of what next roles are going to hire who knows maybe someone listening to the pod is like oh that's a great company i should send that application um yeah. is there kind of something already in your mind in general as the team develops but in even specific roles uh, that you think you are thinking of so at the, at the current stage, our our team is complete. Like for our current like pre-seed seed stage, we are we are we are fine. Um, the thing is, when we raise the next round and when we um, really deploy units and operate them in the field, um, for us, a very senior head of engineering um, would be interesting. Um, so this is also a different profile, I would say. So we are looking at people that have like 15 plus years um, of of work experience. So um, this would be our our next core hire. And around them, probably like 10 to 15 um, engineers that are more like very specific. But head of engineering would be would be core. Um, so, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Any head of engineering out there, uh, <laughs> feel free to send an application. Um, so talking uh, about the future, uh, and this is a bit more a tricky question uh, sometimes for founders to answer. It's like, what major risks do you see ahead and what like if you had to think okay this didn't work out uh what could be the reason for which mm -hmm. it didn't work out mm -hmm. so um we have like like in, in our space there is quite a lot of risk also a lot of opportunity of course on, on the other hand but there's a lot of risk um in in our case it's the um, political situation um basically so um especially um carbon credits um so how we how we finance us is basically um it's basically dependent on on certain regulations. So if if those don't come into place or if they um, don't do it uh, proper in, in in that sense, then we have kind of a, a challenge. So that's why we are looking into solutions where we are not dependent on carbon credits, but for example, storing the captured CO2 into concrete. So there we have um, like a different use case. So we can avoid um, the dependency on um, on let's say the government on regulations. Also, if they move um, too slow. And um, so that's more like the, the business risk, um, I would say. And we're doing some good progress. So we actually captured and mineralized the first CO2 already into, into concrete with a, with a partner company. And um, on, the, on the technical side, of course, um, we, are, we are building direct air capture um, machines. And there's basically no supply chain um, for, for direct air capture. So um, there, there is uh, really the, the technical challenge of, of creating all those, um, all those machines. Um, we are, that's why, want to partner also with, with big players to basically open their supply chains um, to us. That's why um, when we license, we would be also interested, of course, into piggybacking on the, on the supply chain uh, infrastructure, which a co big corporate um, can yeah, provide. So those are the two major risks. Perfect. Uh, so I have the last few. So it's basically a, a fire chat. I just have quick questions, a quick answer uh, before we, we close this great interview. Uh, the first one is, what is the biggest misnomer about data capture in your view? What are the things that people get wrong about it? Um, so um, for in, in general, direct air capture is like this, like pulling the plug from the, from the desktop. So it's not cutting emissions. 
it's like basically removing old emissions that are already in the atmosphere. So that's the first thing about uh, direct air capture. And in particular for, for our case, and we piggyback on existing infrastructure, um, but not to do avoidance of further CO2 emissions. So it's not a fume stack, it's really ambient air, and we more leverage the advantages of the groundwork, of the waste heat, of the airflow. Um, so this is the biggest like misconception, especially for neocarbon. Um, Mm -hmm. And is there a piece of content about direct air capture or carbon in general uh, that you found most insightful? Can be a blog, a book, or anything, or a YouTube video that you think people should watch? Like um, about carbon removal in in in, in particular. Like there, there is a paper from the Royal Society um, of Chemistry. It's like thirty-four pages um, around the different technology um, angles within within direct air capture, which is very niche, um, I would say, if people are more into like general findings about um, climate crisis, then I think uh, Greta Thunberg's um, book um, is, is quite good because it shows you the, 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 the challenge because there are so many different things we need to think of. So climate crisis is not only CO2, like there are a lot of other challenges too, and people also should look into this and that's why it's so complex and so hard to answer. And um, then, of course, Bill Gates' book is also quite book, uh, quite good. Um, so, Bill Gates' uh, How to Avoid Climate Disaster or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, those are quite general um, literature, but I think quite a good start to, to get into yeah. it. Yeah, I love the last one. It's, uh, even if it's a, and the first one is niche, but I find it, I think it's going to be interesting too. Okay, uh, as a founder, how do you keep motivation high? Um, so, so, for us, uh, our, our motivation is because like we started this because we want to see the, the units in the field. So, so we want to see this, this technology in the field. So it's not, I, I don't ask myself uh, about my motivation. If I'm motivated to do this and this, I just know that I need to do also, of course, a lot of boring stuff um, to, to, to get this in the real world. But it's not so much about motivation. It, my, my challenge, on the other hand, is more about like, like sleep. So being too, too tired, um, for example, so to, to be balanced for a long time, I think is more challenging than, than the motivation. So I think motivation is no problem, um, but rather like not over performing in that sense and then slowing down. So really how to balance yourself that you are always kind of high performing, but not like too much. So that's more my challenge, but not about like waking up in the morning and I don't know uh, what I should do. So that's, that's <laughs> definitely not a challenge. It's more like, like keeping yourself in balance. Uh, what I think is, is challenging. And to close, um, is there a founder or a startup that I think, specifically a founder I should have on my next episode? Uh, ideally in the carbon space, uh, but I'm open to suggestions. Um, so, um, what, like, I, I see a lot of direct air capture companies, like, also the thing, um, what, what we are doing. Where I think we're still is a big opportunity is the whole CO2 utilization. So, producing something out of CO2. It was, of course, also benefit neocarbon <laughs> because we, we only want to do the capturing. Um, but I think there are a lot of opportunities and you can create a lot of like valuable products like fibers, clothes, fuels. Um, and um, also th there I see, I see very big potential. So I would really encourage people um, to look into CO2 utilization um, space and what to do with the CO2. Um, yeah. Amazing. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much for all uh, the all the answers. It was was really cool. It was it was great to have you on. I don't know if there's something you want to add. Uh, if not, it was great having you on. No, all, all good. Uh, thanks, Alberto. Thanks for the for the nice interview and thanks for your time. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us on this fascinating episode. I hope you enjoyed learning more about NeoCarbon and their groundbreaking technology that removes CO2 from ambient air, leveraging existing infrastructures. From technical challenges to market potential, from building of a great team to the risk of regulations ahead, we have covered it all with our guest. Don't miss our future episode diving into the cutting edge of technology and carbon. Hit that subscribe button and see you next time.